Well, last week we celebrated our graduates, and now all the, the Henry County students have, have finally graduated. So once again, congratulations to those that, that achieved that honor this week. And recently I heard uh, a preacher say that commencement speeches at graduation are kind of like sermons at weddings. Nobody remembers them unless they're too long or the preacher says something terrible. And now when I heard that, I thought, actually, that's kind of pretty accurate. But then last Sunday... Everything changed when it comes to what we know about commencement addresses in the future from here on out. Because there was one commencement address that really changed everything when it was unexpected and really just a crazy, crazy, huge gift. And in case you didn't see the news reports, I want to let you watch it here. On behalf of the eight generations of my family who have been in this country, we're going to put a little fuel in your bus. The surprise of a lifetime. After receiving an honorary doctorate, the commencement speaker, billionaire philanthropist Robert Smith, shocking the graduates with an unexpected gift. My family is making a grant to eliminate their student loans. Paying off every penny of debt for the nearly 400 graduates. Cheers for the $40 million lifeline. For him to lift that burden off our shoulders, off our parents' shoulders, off our guardian's shoulders, like... We're at a loss of words right now. Right? Wouldn't you be at a loss of words? I mean, just think about it. Those graduates are sitting there on a hot Georgia day just waiting for this commencement address to get over. They're thinking about the new jobs that they're trying to find so that they can pay off their student loans. All of this debt. Many of the students had over $100,000 in student loan debt. They're just going through this ceremony when, boom, the unexpected happens, this unexpected gift of generosity. And I, I mean, can you imagine if you were in that, in that crowd? I mean, some of you have student loans, right? So can you imagine if you were in that crowd and that happened to you? I mean, can you imagine if, if because it's Memorial Day Sunday and, you know, attendance might be here or there, I just said, look, on behalf of the eight generations of my family, I'm going to forgive the loans, the debt of everybody in this room, right? I hope it doesn't add up to 40 million. I hope that doesn't, it's not the case, right? I'm not doing that this morning. But can you imagine if that happened? I mean, that would be a huge, amazing act of generosity. And now, this, I mean, this story went viral, obviously, and it kept playing on the news again and again and kept kind of seeing that one clip, that one line of the speech. But, you know, as the week went on, I thought, well, what did he say in the rest of the speech? Because, like, you know, this is just a 30-second clip of it. So I thought, you know what, I need to go back, listen to what he said around this or before this because, I mean, you know, he's a pretty generous guy, must have some good things to say. And so I went back and listened to the rest of the speech, and what was interesting is that in the speech, this moment came at the very end, but during the speech, he didn't talk about their student debt and how it was going to hold them back. He didn't talk about the past choices and whether they should have taken it on or not or what had been done in the past. Instead, he really focused his entire speech on the future and his hopes and dreams for them and who he hoped that they would become. And he said, look, my my dream for you is that you'll become politicians who fight for justice in our world. That you would become educators who inspire the next generation. That you would be people who build up communities. That you would be CEOs who establish ethical businesses with integrity. He really focused on his hopes and his dreams for them. And as I listened to his speech, I couldn't help but think back to my sermon last Sunday. Now, my sermon last Sunday didn't go as viral. It didn't get as much press coverage (laughs) As, as his speech did, but I couldn't help but think about it because last Sunday, if you were here, you know I, I talked about 
an unexpected gift that God gives to us, and that's the gift of His grace, the gift of His forgiveness, a gift that, that, that really we, we can never repay, a gift that's greater than we can imagine. And I thought about that sermon and the gift because just like the press in all of their coverage focused on Robert Smith's gift and really ignored the rest of his speech and his hopes and his dreams for those students for the future, a lot of times when it comes to God, we really focus in on the gift of forgiveness as well. And we kind of ignore God's hopes and his dreams for our future. You see, there's a problem that's kind of common in the church today, especially in America, and that is that that a lot of us, when we come to know Christ, when our, when our friend comes to church, maybe they, they choose to follow Christ. Maybe it was at, at camp, we raised our hand and we said, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to receive the gift of forgiveness. One of the problems in the church today is that a lot of us kind of treat that like it's the finish line of faith. Like that's it, right? We receive forgiveness, a relationship with Jesus Christ, and then we just kind of go back and we keep living life like we've been living. Treating people the same doing the same things. And we kind of say, well, look, that's the end. You know what? That, that's good. I'm glad I'm forgiven. I'm glad God loves me and provides forgiveness because I'm just going to keep doing the same old stuff. And this is a problem, I think, because God wants more for us. God has hopes and dreams for us of who will become. And that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. How God wants more for you and for me and for us as a church. And when it comes to, to God wanting more for us, when we look at Paul's letters in Scripture, particularly his prayers, we find him praying for more. We see this over and over again. One of the first instances, in an instance I love, one of my favorite prayers in the Bible is a prayer he prays over the Ephesian church. In Ephesians chapter 3, he says this, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And here's my favorite part. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Notice what he's praying for here. He prays that we might be strengthened, that Christ might dwell in our hearts, that we might be rooted in love, that we might grasp the love of Christ. He prays that God might do more than we ask, more than we imagine, should we say, more than we expect. He prays that God would do more. Say that with me, more. And then he continues. He continues in another one of his letters, the letter to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he prays this. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, he says this. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And you were taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 
What Paul's expressing here, his prayers, his hopes, and his desires, those are in alignment with God's hopes and God's desires for us. God's hope and his desire for us is that we would be people who know him more. That we would be people who are rooted in love, who are blameless, who are made new, people who are holy. The prayers, the hopes, and the dreams that God has for us are prayers, hopes, and dreams for our sanctification. And now I'm going to use some big church words this morning because it's Memorial Day weekend. And if you didn't want to be here, you'd be at the pool like everybody else, okay? So I know you can handle this this morning. These are hopes and dreams for our sanctification. And I want to give you two, two definitions here this morning. The first is for justification, and, you, and you'll, see this, you'll see this in your bulletin. And I want to start here because this is really the beginning before we get to sanctification. But justification is what God does for us through Jesus Christ. And so when you think about having faith in Jesus Christ, committing your life to him, and receiving the forgiveness of your sins and being adopted into God's family, this is experiencing justification. When we have a new relationship with Jesus Christ, when we're put into a right relationship with him, we are justified. And now when a lot of us think of salvation or you hear somebody say, you know, hey, have you been saved? This is usually what they're talking about. Have you experienced justification? Have you been forgiven by God? Have you been put into a new relationship with him? Are you part of God's family? And this is an important aspect for every Christian to experience this, to receive this gift for yourself. But like I said earlier, justification is just the beginning. God has more for us. God has more, and the more that God has for us is our sanctification. And sanctification is what God does in us through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working in us to transform our hearts, our desires, our thoughts, our actions, how we relate to our possessions, and more. It's the work of God transforming us inside out into the people he wants us to be. You see, when we think about sin, sin has two large effects on our life. One, it makes us guilty before God. And through justification and faith in Jesus Christ, God deems us not guilty. And we experience a new relationship with him. But sin also has another aspect. Beyond giving us guilt before God, it also is a disease-like state in our soul that infects us and affects us. And sanctification is that process through which God heals us, through which God renews us. And although sin remains inside of us, sanctification is the process through which God makes us new. And although sin might remain, it no longer reigns inside of us. And John Wesley, the founder of the, uh, of the Methodist Church, he loved to talk about sanctification. It was one of his favorite themes because when he was preaching in 18th century London and around, he found that there were so many people who knew Jesus and who knew the forgiveness of God, and yet they were just living their same old lives. And they said, you know what? I'm forgiven by God, so I'll just go around doing whatever I want to do, and God is going to forgive me. And he said, look, God wants more for you. There's more to life with God than just forgiveness. And so he used the metaphor of a house to help people kind of understand this journey that God wants to take each of us on. And so he said, you know, if you, if you think of a house as God's house, that 
that really all of us, even though we're created in the image of God, because of sin, we find ourselves estranged from God, apart from Him. We're, we're like the prodigal son. We're, we're living far off in the wilderness, away from the house. But even when we're far off from God, God's grace draws us to Himself. If you think about your life before you became a Christian, God was at work in your life through people, through circumstances, through situations. God was drawing you to himself. And as we respond to God's grace and his initiation of a relationship with us, we ultimately, we come to the porch of the house, right? We come to the porch of the house and at the porch, that's where repentance occurs, where we say, you know what? I'm tired of living life on my own. I want life with God. I'm gonna turn. That's what repentance is about, turning from an old way of life to a new way of life. So we're there on the porch and then to go into a house, you go through the doorway, And he says the doorway to the Christian life is through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the act of justification. We receive forgiveness. We're adopted into God's family and we enter into the house. But look, when you go to somebody's house, do you stop at the doorway? No, that'd be weird, right? No, they invite you into the house to go and to continue exploring it. And he says sanctification is that process which by God gives us more of himself. God transforms us as we live in his house with him. And now growing up, I used to, you know, go to some friends' houses every once in a while. And there was one friend's house. His name was Justin. His house was amazing. Now my house, you know, my house growing up was nice. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to act like it wasn't. But Justin lived in a neighborhood with other kids our own age, which I did not. So that was pretty cool. And then Justin lived in a neighborhood with... uh, what do you call it, water slide, right, at a swimming pool. They had a huge water slide and like three diving boards. I thought that was pretty awesome. And in Justin's house, they had autographs of celebrities. They had bunk beds, which I would you know, never been on bunk beds before. They had Nerf guns, unlimited G.I. Joes, and then they had a pantry in Justin's house that was full of like Lunchables, Gushers, Fruit by the Foot, all of this amazing stuff. I didn't have this in my house. So I loved going over to Justin's house. It was awesome. And when I went over to his house, you know, I learned that things were different in his household than my household, right? You didn't just do the same things or act the same way. When I went to his house for the first time, they're like, hey, can you take your shoes off? It's like, what? Why would I take my shoes off to go into a house? That doesn't even make sense. Anybody here have a house where you have to take your shoes off before you go in? Okay. Your house is probably really clean, I guess. But right, I didn't know that. You didn't wear shoes in the house because you didn't want to get the white carpet dirty. Now, I don't understand why you'd have white carpet in the house, but that's, that's for you to decide, right? So I was like, okay, don't wear shoes in the house because I want to keep the carpet clean. That's cool. And then I learned, hey, you can't just jump off the bunk beds off the top bunk onto the floor. That's not a good thing, but I had never been around bunk beds, so I had to learn that rule. <laughs> then I learned, hey, when you're done playing with the Nerf guns and the G.I. Joes, you got you to gotta put them away in their proper place. So I did that, and I learned kind of this, this new way of life and this new routine. And the reason Justin's parents had this wasn't because they didn't want us to have fun or anything like that, but they knew what life in this house was supposed to be like and how to keep us safe and how to enjoy it to the max. And with God, it's similar. When we become members of God's household, He has a new way of life for us. As Paul says, turn from the old way of life, pick up a new way of life. And this new way of life is designed for us so that we would experience 
abundant life, we would experience the life we were created to live by God. And this life that God has designed us for, really it can be summarized in one word. And that is love. God has designed us to be people full of love. You might remember when some people came to trick Jesus one day, they asked him, they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in all of the law, right? They weren't interested. They were actually trying to trap him. But Jesus answered this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And then he went on and he said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself for all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. God created us to be people of love, people who love him with all that we have and all that we are, and people who love others as ourselves. That's who we were created to be. This is the goal of sanctification, holy love inside of us, when a lot of us think about this, we, we think, you know what, that's, I mean, that's a nice goal, that's a nice ideal, but like, never going to get close to that, right? We know our sin. We know our brokenness. If you're like me, I know the changes I need to make in my life, and guess what? On my own, I, I really can't make changes. I try all the time and I fail. But when it comes to God giving us more, and when it comes to God's work of sanctification and transformation inside of us. Ultimately, it's not the power we have within ourselves to change ourselves. Ultimately, it's the possibilities of God's power at work within us. And with God's power at work within us, he can transform us into whoever he wants us to be. Because really, all of the commandments that Jesus give us in scripture are actually promises. Their promise is that by God's grace working in us, he can transform us to live them out and to live as he has created us to be. And this is good news for me because I get tired of my own sin. And I think other people get tired of my sin as well. I think people get tired of harshness, of impatience trying to control different things, of me trying to impress other people and trying to win other people's approval. I get tired of my own sin. Other people do too. Do you ever get tired of your own sin? Do you get tired of the people's sin next to you? Right? We get tired of it, but a lot of times we just think, you know what? I'll just, I'll just keep on going. I'll just keep on asking for forgiveness and I'll just keep living my life like I've always lived. And here's the thing. There's truth to that, right? That whenever we sin, God will forgive us. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us. That's good news. But the verse continues on. The verse continues on and it says this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and he will purify us of all unrighteousness. God wants to do more. He wants to do more than merely forgive us. He wants to do a complete renovation and transform our hearts, our minds, our souls, transform our 
lives. He wants to give us victory. And victory comes in our lives when we open up ourselves to be vessels of God's grace. When we open up ourselves to his power and his presence within us. When we do that, victory over sin comes. Victory over our circumstances comes. Victory comes. God pours out more of himself. And this comes through an act of surrender, through an act of us saying to God, God, have your way with me. God, come and fill me. God, come and transform me from the inside out. And now sometimes we think this is just like a really passive pursuit, like, you know, hey, let's just sit on the couch and watch Netflix, and then God's just going to like zap us and transform us from the inside out. And now look, God can work however God wants to. I'm not going to limit God. But so often God works to fill us and to transform us as we participate in the practices that he's given us. Practices that he's given us through which he transforms us. And there's really kind of two large sets of these things that as we do them, God's transforming grace transforms us from the inside out. And the first set happens really inside the walls of our house and inside the walls of our church. And these include things like praying, praying by ourselves, praying with other people, studying the Bible, studying the Bible together in church. This is through worship through Holy Communion. This is through friendships with other Christians as we are real and as we're accountable with them. God uses all of those things to transform us, to give us more joy, more peace, more victory, more love. As James says, draw close to God and God will draw close to you. So that's one set of practices that as we do them, God begins to transform us. But then there's another set. It's not inside the walls of the church and inside the walls of our home. It's actually outside the walls of the church and outside the walls of our homes. And these are things like serving other people, loving our neighbors, visiting those who are sick and in prison, clothing the naked, fighting for injustice, helping to overcome oppression. If you remember Jesus' words, he said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did it for me. As we do these things, as we engage in these practices, God begins to give us more. More of himself. And as God's grace and his love begins to fill us, it begins to overflow out of us. And we become the people he's created us to be. Recently, I heard that Leonardo da Vinci worked on the Mona Lisa for well over a decade. And that he he used to travel with it and and take the painting wherever he went. He, He took it from France to Italy. And what I read said that after about five years, most people would have said, hey, you know what? Look, that painting looks amazing. It's a masterpiece. It's complete. But guess what? Da Vinci was the artist and he knew that it wasn't complete. That there was still more work to be done. There was still a little to tweak here and a little to tweak there. He was the artist and he knew that the masterpiece wouldn't be complete until it was what he envisioned. And God's like that with us. 
We are created by him. He is the artist. He has a vision for our lives. And he's not going to stop working on us until we become what he's envisioned us to be. People full of love. People full of love for him and people full of love for other people. And so that means that, that over time, you know what? God is, he's trying to erase some lines. He's trying to take out a little darkness here, a little darkness there. He's trying to add a little color to our lives. He's trying to smooth off those rough edges because he wants us to be his masterpieces. And we don't need to settle for anything less. And so this morning, I know how busy it is in our lives, especially in the month of May. And even, you know, it's like a holiday weekend. It's supposed to be like a time of relaxation, but it's still crazy. There's still a ton of traffic. It's still kind of wild outside. And so what I want to do this morning is to give you a little space for reflection. Space for reflection to reflect on those areas in your life in which you want God to do more. So just a minute, the band's going to come up and they're going to play just some instrumental music for a couple of minutes. And we want to give you this time to draw close to God. You can do that through prayer. You can write down stuff in your bulletin. If you want to pray with somebody else, come up front. If you want to talk with somebody, we want to give you space to draw close to God and to reflect on those areas of your life where you're feeling, God, I need more of you. I need more of you in this area. I want you to transform this area. Maybe for you, it's, it's your parenting. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's, it's your thought life. Maybe it's how you treat other people who disagree with you. Maybe it's just your general attitude and disposition. I don't know what it is for you. And maybe you don't right now either. But we want to give you this time and this space to simply talk with God. And to say to God, here I am. A vessel. I want you to give me more. I want you to fill me and transform me. Ultimately, God, I want to be the person you created me to be. So we want to give you some time and some space to do that right now.